like around like high school it was like you know just being like a dark and depressed person like and the idea of like my life not meaning anything was only really solved by making something yeah. uh, and that first thing that I made I think were songs <laughs> um here I am yeah, yeah. I know what it's gonna feel like and I know how to guide it and I know what to do if I'm stuck <laughs> I never let it go. It's really weird because I'm not really speaking to you in front of me. But I have to think of you in front of me because if I don't, then I won't be able to speak to you. How you doing? <laughs> it's such a natural part of me now. Yo! Welcome to another week of the Wandering Wolf Podcast. I am your happy-to-be-here host, Yoni Wolf, coming at you live from, since not live, but live for me now, but not live for you when you're listening later, but still live in a way, uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I am in my studio right now recording this intro, uh, but I'm going to head over to the coffee shop in a moment. I got to poop. I'll be right back. That's done. I think it's nerves, probably. Uh, I'm heading to Israel in two days, and I've been getting a lot of, of uh, messages on Twitter and whatnot telling me to boycott uh, going to Israel. I'm going to play this Meteor Festival run by my friend Iran, and uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not dropping out. I'm not boycotting it. That said, you know, I'm not. I'm a liberal person. I, I, I'm a person with heart. Uh, I am against the things that the Israeli government is doing. I'm against the occupation of Palestine. Uh, but I don't think to reflect that I need to boycott uh, the festival. The festival is not run by the government. It has. It's given no money by the government. It's you know, it's a friend of mine's festival. I did ask my uncle, so my uncle is a, a, a political scientist and has worked for, uh, he worked uh, under Hillary Clinton in the Obama administration. He's, he, we did an episode with him. You can look back on the, on the uh, Barney Rubin episode uh, of The Wandering Wolf. But uh, I, I asked him, because I don't know shit about politics. Or I don't know shit about the history of the area, really. I mean, I know as much as any American does. But um, he, you know, he knows a lot more. So I asked him about it. I said, I don't want to boycott it, but I do want to make a statement in some way. I do want, uh, you know, to make it clear that I am against the occupation. Um, I asked him, you know, what his thoughts were. What should I say? What should I say? So I I was, you know, I I, I, uh, care for what you wish for. You know what I mean? This guy... Uh, he, he's a, he's like the family genius, and he knows way too much about uh, well about pretty much everything, but but uh, especially about the Middle East or and South Asia. Uh, and he uh, sent me a lot of information to say the least. And and just got an email this morning, CC'd, where he's emailing a professor, I believe, a, C, a professor in Syria uh, about. Um, who's an expert on 
former Palestinian areas that were taken over by Israel, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, long story short, I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, have to sort through all this and sort of think about, I'm basically gonna have to have a history lesson, which is good, you know, I, I'm not boycotting the uh, festival, but uh, I am researching the history of the area and uh, how the Arab peoples in the area uh, I think they can be called Palestinian people, were uh, ethnically cleansed in some uh, situations, as well as certainly uh, kicked out. I mean, think about your, your, your local area that's been gentrified, um, but like times 100 or, or 1,000 or whatever. Uh, and that's, that's uh, what happened there, a million, I don't know. Uh, so I am learning about that, and uh, I'm thinking about possible folks I can have podcasts with there, uh, maybe some Palestinian folks, uh, as well as uh, I am doing a feature in a big, uh, I think the biggest Israeli, more left-leaning publication called Haaretz. Uh, so I, I, I maybe can talk about this stuff a bit there. I mean, I'm sure they're sick of talking about it, uh, but... Uh, Anyway, I'm a you know I'm 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 a lay person uh, in regards to all this stuff, but I do feel the need to say something so that the Israeli government doesn't sort of take uh, me not boycotting the festival as you know some kind of victory and you know see the rest of the world thinks what we're doing is okay because we don't we don't. Um, Anyway, that's my spiel, and I haven't written all this on on, on Twitter because it's fuck that. I'm not, you know, all these kids hitting me up. Ninety percent of them are just, you know, liberal Brooklyn Jews who who feel uh, guilty about what's going on there and don't really understand what's happening. I, I feel like, and I, I don't really understand what's happening either. And I'm also a liberal Jew, so, uh, I, but I feel like if I'm gonna boycott Israel. You know, if I'm going to boycott playing in Israel, performing in Israel, and this is music in Israel. This is not this is not GE, you know, boycotting making, you know, jet engines for the Israeli Air Force or this is not uh, you know, some huge corporation that's bringing in, you know, shit tons of tax money to the go- anyway, I feel like if I'm going to boycott playing in Israel, I might as well boycott playing in the United States. I feel like our government has done just as much or more super shady, super villainous shit, right? That said, Lana Del Rey dropped out. She was like the headliner. So she she felt the pressure of the boycott and and, uh, and dipped out. I'm not dipping out, okay? But I am gonna do some research there. I am gonna going to uh, try to turn it into a learning experience for myself and maybe you all as well. So um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay, enough about that, but that's why I'm a little nervous, and I, and I did just, just uh, poop a little bit, and it may not have been the best poop. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, if you enjoy it, if you're into it, please support the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash thewanderingwolf, and you can become a member and join the conversation. So you can, uh, we can discuss episodes, and we haven't done too much of this yet, but I'm always down uh, to discuss episodes on, there, uh, on the forum there or the, mess, the 
posts there or whatever. And uh, yeah, I'm into it. So you just have to go and join the Patreon to be part of that conversation. And if you give $5 a month or more, you become one of my executive producers. And my executive producers are always listed at the end of the episode. And uh, we'll get there when we get there. And you executive producers uh, prepare to hear your name on the podcast. And we do thank you immensely for your contributions. Uh, so yeah, patreon.com slash the wandering wolf. Go sign up, become part of the conversation, uh, not just eavesdropping on the conversation as you've been doing, creeping on the other side of the room with a cup up to your ear against the door, okay? Join the conversation. Knock on the door. I will gladly open that door. Come on in. Sit down. Let's talk. Have some lemonade. Have, have an Arnold Palmer. Whatever it is that you'd like. We're not serving alcohol at the moment. It is only 11.44 in the morning. My guest today is none other than Michelle Zahner, a, a, a Japanese breakfast. This is a big one. Oh, shit, my door. Hold on just a second. Okay, it was just an Amazon package for my girlfriend. Good. Those come, they literally come all day. I don't know what they are. They're little boxes. I think they're like fabrics and things. Uh, she's a fashion design uh, student, so she's always doing, she's making things. She makes awesome, awesome shit, actually. Um, Michelle's Honor, Japanese Breakfast. I have been loving this band lately and was extremely excited to get to talk to Michelle. Thank you very much, Merrick, and to her publicist. You guys uh, are great for, for hooking it up. And, um... Yeah, she's, she, it was just a delight to talk to her. I think she's doing something really special with her music. I'm, I'm excited to see what she comes up with next. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. I am going, like I said, I'm heading to Israel first, but also to Europe and the UK. And you can't say, the, you can't lump those in together now because of the whole Brexit situation. And I don't think they're necessarily completely divorced of, the, of uh, the EU yet, right? I'm not sure if that's gone into complete action. Maybe it has. I haven't been over there. But soon enough. So I, I like to say EU and UK. Uh, so please look up those dates. You can go to whywithaquestionmark.com. All spelled out, why with a question mark dot com slash tour, and that is where you'll find our tour uh, of this e this uh, Europe slash UK tour that we're about to do momentarily, uh, and then in November we are all over the United States. So get over there, why with a question mark dot com slash tour, and uh, you can see where we will be headed in November in the States if you're if you're a person in the US. This is a special tour. We're playing a 10-year-old album, Alopecia, in its entirety. This is the tour for celebrating the 10-year anniversary re-release of Alopecia uh, with the deluxe edition of the vinyl, gatefold, new, uh, new collage art by my girlfriend Grace. Uh, she 
fucking killed it uh, of all old photographs from that era of all of us. And uh, you also get the demos with the deluxe version. Uh, you get the remixes. Everything comes with it. And I think that's still out and about somewhere. And we sold out of the initial copies, but um, there are other copies floating around in the world. So look for those. And we'll also have some of those, I think, at our shows, as well as the regular copies of Alopecia that have been out of print for, for a very long time. So come and see us on the road and uh, tell me, let me know that you're a Wandering Wolf listener. I always enjoy that. Um, you're my people. You know that. All right, well, let's move slickly and easily into this conversation with my new friend. I hope I can call her that. My new friend, Michelle Zahner. Japanese breakfast. You've been doing music like a while, right? Yeah. You were into some different bands. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and um, what, like, when you switch to doing Japanese breakfast, does that mean that it's a solo thing? Is that what happened? Yeah, I was in a band called Little Big League for yeah. three or four years, and you know, it got to the point where we were on a label, and I think that when you do something for a while, it gets like stifling in, in one way or another, and uh, you know, the whole record process of like writing an album, recording it, and then waiting months and months for it to come out and, and all of that uh, was frustrating to me. And so I wanted to have some kind of side project where I just was writing music and then just like instantly putting it out. Um, so I think in like 2014 or 15 maybe, I wrote um, June, which was like, I wrote and recorded songs every day for the months of June. It's just kind of like a creative- One song each day? Yeah, yeah, like a oh, creative wow. project. So I had like 30 lo-fi, tracks um recorded on like four track or? like a like garage band okay. just like quick and dirty like and i i found that like i was just getting in my head so much about writing songs for a little big league you know like you can't write any more songs in drop d like no more capo two like why you know, because it felt like there i just like had to push myself or something and it just felt like i had all these expectations i had built for myself and so i wanted to I just like kept getting so in my head about it and so I was just like I don't give a shit about like what key I'm in or like how simple the chord structure is I'm just gonna write you know I just have maybe like 10 minutes or like two hours to like get it done uh, and I wrote 30 tracks and m most of them have made their way onto either li Little Big League Record uh, re-recorded better and uh, or a Japanese Breakfast album um, but yeah it was always kind of like a side Project you use those as demos, basically? I mean, they weren't intended to be demos, but they ended up kind of serving as demos. Okay. Um, they were like, you know, I, it was just like a fun project that I thought would be self-contained, but a lot of those songs I thought, you know, like, oh, I really like those lyrics, or I really like those melodies, and it was kind of good, like, raw source material for songs later on that I, that I used. So there's a lot of stuff on June that ended up on the second Little Big League record, and then the first and second Japanese Breakfast album that's cool yeah what's the difference to you between like some like is there a difference in feeling or a process or whatever what what makes something a a little big league song or or, or a jay breck um it's super different just because uh little big league is way more of a band so it's like a democracy of like four people and uh, you know, Kevin plays guitar and Ian plays drums and Devin played bass. Um, and then this project, it's kind of like <clears throat> I'm the kind of 
I have collaborators or bring on different people to help me arrange or produce, but it's I'm like the director of the project, so I can kind of guide it to where I get to be the one who guides it to where it needs to go musically and you know visually and, and yeah. everything. Um, <clears throat> it's also I think that the biggest difference is that uh, Little Big League always we had like our roles, and it was kind of important to us. I think that. Uh, we were able to bring a pretty, um, what's the word, like, that our live sound was going to be similar to the album. Yeah. And I think that with Japanese Breakfast, it, it was like, I didn't give a shit. I didn't even expect to ever have a live show. So the album ended up being a lot bigger than, uh, you know, three or four people could handle in a live performance. And the live performance was kind of sip, like, taken as, like, treated as a separate... Afterthought. Yeah, yeah. So, does that mean that for most of the Japanese breakfast stuff, you're playing all, all the instruments and everything yourself, pretty much? Uh, it varies from record to record. Uh, for Psycho Pomp, we had uh, Colin Redman played drums, and Nicole Gamer played guitar, and Peter Bradley played bass, and I played, like, guitar and synth. And then this, we kind of, like, sat on this record, um, and I just, like, didn't like the way that we were mixing it, so I took it to... Ned Eisenberg and together we kind of like ripped the, the songs back open and added a bunch of samples and keyboards, like sped things up, took drums out. Um, and yeah, it was a really, really haphazard process. For Soft Sounds, it was just me and Craig Hendricks who plays drums in the live band playing all of the instruments together and, okay. and co-producing it, yeah. So, and did you have a specific time period for uh, the, the new record or sounds of like, uh, where it's like, all right, we're going into the studio to do this? Or was it more like at home, sprawling in time and, and kind of messing around with him? And well, Psycho Pump came out <clears throat> without like any kind of expectation. You know, I had played in bands for a really long time and it just like wasn't really, seemed like it wasn't really gonna happen for me. And so I wanted to take a kind of different career path. But it wasn't gonna happen for you in terms of like success? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just tired of doing tours, sleeping on, the ground and like you know yeah. getting a job at a restaurant getting fired for going on tour having a month of scrambling to find another job getting fired again when we went back on tour and I was 25 and like my mom had just died and so I just didn't want to go back to that lifestyle be away from your partner for a long period of time I was like I just need to have routine and like I don't I think that I gave it a good shot and it like didn't happen for me and then that was after Psychopomp yeah but it hadn't come out yet okay. so I had finished okay. writing it so then I started working this nine to five job and I was kind of like mixing it with uh, after work. So I started working the nine to five job, drive to Crown Heights and like rush hour traffic, stay there till midnight, go back home. Do you still live up. in New York right now? I live in Philadelphia. Okay. But did did you feel like I'm sorry to interrupt. You oh, it's fine. Don't worry. Did you feel like when you were in that process with Ned that, that you had something special? Was it like, okay, this is different than what I had done before? I feel like I always feel that way about everything I make, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know, like, I, I had that feeling, but I think I always, you know, I wouldn't make music if I didn't have that feeling anyway, you know, so yeah. I think that, like, the two little big league records, I still listen to them and think that they're something really special, but yeah. they didn't, I think that it sucked, I mean, music is, has nothing to do with how special something is and why it succeeds, it has everything to do with, like, 
politics of like when it comes out and like who puts it out. Well, it's, bo- it's both things. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's a, a lot of it is that. I know. I just have like I have so many talented friends that yeah. like mm-hmm. I know are never gonna make it because they just they like they just don't know. I just don't think that they'll get into the right hands or like yeah, they'll play yeah. the game in the way that oh, it needs sure. to be played. Sure, a uh, lot of it is that way. But there's to me there's a to me there's a break in sound. Right. Yeah. At that point, to me that record sounds different than the little big. Oh, stuff. for sure. And, yeah. and also, I think that a huge part of that too is because like. I, it's a more of a singular voice like and i think that that Absolutely. was just stronger for me and also just more uh rooted in a pop world whereas like little big league it felt like we were four people that were like trying to make something difficult sometimes you know like mm-hmm. we we did like a reunion couple songs uh, a couple of weeks ago and it's just like oh yeah there's just no repeating parts here right like, it's a little, yeah. of course like not many people like <laughs> Through that composed. Like, yeah or just like trying you know and i also was like learning a lot back then I think like as a woman like in music I wanted to like show off like my guitar skills and a lot of times wrote more complicated guitar parts than I needed to To show that you could yeah to just show that I could and like that you know sometimes makes the song suffer makes your live performance suffer if you're like so busy all the time yeah um but you entered into more of like production based I would say yeah for sure and I think that I that I took like making two records um, to kind of feel more comfortable. And I think I still, like, going into Soft Sounds, I was like, okay, I want to work with one other person, and I want to really, like, see the production through from, from the beginning, and I don't want anyone to, yeah, be able to take this, that ownership away from me. And, yeah. and I think for the next record, even more so, I want to be more and more involved in, in the production aspect. Are you, are, are you sitting there on, you know, Ableton or Pro Tools or whatever on a laptop between mixing sessions and doing shit yourself? Or, or are you pretty much like... On the album making process? Yeah. Um, we did the album in Pro Tools in a studio. Okay. Uh, but I'm not a, like, very... You're not a tech Proficient. Um, I'm not a proficient, like, mixer. I'm not, yeah. like, the best at EQing uh, things and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. neither was Craig. I mean, we, we had George Elbert to mix it. And yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the two of us arranged it together, and, uh, yeah, I definitely had a heavy hand in, in the way that the record sounds. Yes, that's, that's, that's good. Um... I guess this sort of, I sort of asked this, but like, what would you say, like the initial stages, what's the difference between songwriting process between the Little Big League stuff and, and moving into the Japanese breakfast stuff? Is it like more personal, more like, you sort of said that. Uh, but like the initial stage, not production, yeah, not all yeah. that, like, yeah, um, the seed. I think that they start did pretty similarly like it was largely me and a guitar uh writing the songs but i think that with japanese breakfast i tried on writing with a few other you know the initial stages with a few other instruments like i think a couple of the songs were started on on piano for sure or on keyboards um especially soft sounds was uh a lot of it was yeah a lot of it was written in the studio too so it was kind of like playing with stuff and like letting a tone inform the direction of a song so like I, I think that like diving woman started with the like the juno sound that's like, yeah. like oh, let's, i'm gonna write a song around this uh so yeah that's definitely like a sorry that's all right and and would you um like have li- like have lyrics like that you could be like all right let me flip through and see what works with this or you'd be like 
all right, let me, you know. I have, like, lyrics that I flip through. Like, okay. I think that I, I for me, I, between writing, I tried to just, like, be a sponge and, like, collect things that someone says that feels, you know, profound to me uh, or, like, something I observe on tour and then I just have a book of them, something I read, uh, word that I like, and then kind of collect them and then find a couple that are a good fit and then kind of like sew in the other stuff after after those two things <laughs> so yes yeah I, okay okay so yeah just kind of sti stitching things different things together and yeah yeah that makes sense um and what what like process wise between psychopomp um and soft sounds like what like what was the difference there because you already knew what it was to some extent or what the pro project was to some extent yeah at that point, what, what, what was the different feeling going into Soft Sounds? Uh, it was like a lot more focused. Um, you know, Psychopomp I wrote like two months after my mom died. So it was like a really raw, vulnerable time and a lot of And you like, did that out west, right? Yeah, and I was in Eugene, which okay. I think is a really big difference too. So yeah. it was like on my parents' property. I was, there was like no expectation, no deadline, you know, no band, no confidence really just like yeah. it was a very quiet were you taking care process. of your mom at that time no she had already passed away by the okay. time i started writing when you yeah. okay okay yeah. so you went but that's out why there. i was there I was yeah there you went out there to be with her yeah, she yeah. passed away yeah yeah okay um and then soft sounds happened after like a whirlwind year of psychopomp doing really well and like going on tour a lot signing to dead oceans dead ocean was kind of like you must have a new record just waiting to come out and yeah. i was like yeah and then went into the studio in october and i was like okay i'm gonna give myself like one month i only want to work with one other person like only one other set of hands is going to be on this album with me uh and it was craig's and uh, how did you decide that it was because Psychopomp was so haphazard. It was like three people helping me arrange it, realizing like that was something that Too I could do on my own. People trying to like steal ownership of the songs and like not letting me do what I wanted to do. The like engineer, drummer, wanting to mix it, like holding the songs hostage uh, because I didn't like the way that he mixed it and not letting me bring it to Ned guitar player having to say like dude this is these are songs about her mom dying like how heartless can you be yeah giving them to me working with ned on it like ned's computer dying not being able to like originally like he was supposed to like he was like he was supposed to just like mix it and then he like wouldn't do it unless i just sat there and yeah. then like yeah and he then, wanted you to be in the room with no him. he just like didn't have like the work ethic to okay. like oh, sit there and do it on his own him. so like i started with me like babysitting him and just like making sure that he was doing it and then like turned into like let's open this back up and to be fair like i think that it, that's when it became a really special record i think that like his influence on that album and like where we were able to take it together was something far more exciting than what it was yeah um but you know he's just kind of like a kooky producer guy yeah. and difficult to work with so I just wanted to work with someone that I had like full confidence in um, who I felt like would listen to me and uh, be able to like collaborate with me without you know and like in, in, and definitely like contribute really special things but without like you know trying to take over right exactly yeah, yeah. so and, yeah. and like you know Craig is an amazing producer and, and a real like Swiss Army Knife musician like can play everything and uh, so that was definitely, you know, I'm not really a very good drummer, 
I'm yeah. terrible drummer. Yeah. Uh, so that was definitely a huge, a huge thing. But there's uh, there's drum machine stuff on there too, yeah. Yeah. That he played that stuff too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so w what do you attribute the like success and then furthering success of Japanese Breakfast as opposed to other stuff you did? Because since you you know, I, I'm just curious because yeah. you, you said, well, it's politics and, and timing and of course that's important, but is there yeah. anything else that you feel like why it might have, uh, you know, why, why it might have touched, uh, I'm just going to say touched a nerve, but the opposite of touched a nerve. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it was like a lot of luck. Like we had a good PR person for the first time. Uh, on, on the first record even? Yeah, yeah, it's Aloy, yeah, the, did the yeah. press for Sacrepon Fan. He's the best. And, but, but who put that one out, though? That wasn't Dead Oceans. Yeah, it was Yellow K. But okay. Aloy had come on for to do PR, and then okay. I, when I moved to Dead Oceans, I was like, I want to... Oh, I wanna you, you brought him on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, I think that was part of it, and I think that I, like, came in on a wave of, like, women uh, musicians that were, like, gaining, and, like, women like writers and producers that were like kind of gaining attention at the time who was on that wave like i feel like you know i went on tour with mitski and like that was a huge favor for us. i mean because i think that mitski fans like our music really resonated with mitski fans so we it was the first time that we went on like a good tour where like our music just made sense together yep. and i think that maybe people felt like they could hear like an authentic voice because it was very just I just wrote music that was like so honest to me and it was you know largely pop music so it's I think more it's just like easier to enjoy than naughty emo like guitar rock yeah. you know like, yeah. it's kind of like mathy and weird and yeah not produced super well but, and maybe more directly from your heart maybe the, the newer yeah stuff I mean I felt like I always wrote lyrics that were like that I always wrote pretty personal lyrics but yeah I don't know I think that maybe the narrative that got spun I didn't even tell anyone that I didn't even tell Aloy that my mom had passed away um and it wasn't like a part of the press release or anything but somehow people but I'm a really honest like interviewee yeah. um so I think that it just you know when people ask me what it was about that was clearly what it was about and then the narrative of that press cycle kind of spawned into that and a lot of people have dealt with grief and lost people and maybe that was part of the reason why I don't know I think it was like a lot of different a lot of different things, you know. And what about the the, the newer album bumping you? You know, it seems like, to me, after that, things got a lot better for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wish I could tell you. I just, uh, I keep kind of waiting, you know, even like thinking about a third album, I keep waiting for the sort of trap door to open because yeah. I definitely have seen like a lot of friends you know make yeah. great records and then just like people you know have huge fan bases that just turn away you know on the next one i don't know why that happens uh i i think that it's easier to maybe relate to like one person instead of band maybe and like i've always been really really involved um with visual pro like all the videos and stuff like that and um i think that i've been really honest in interviews and and maybe people feel like they want to be close to something that I identify with and that helped us have more people into the second record. I mean, I think that the second album was produced a lot better. It sounds a lot better. Yeah. I think that I am like a more focused uh, direction in general. 
But it's I don't very know. listenable and, yeah. ca- and catchy. I mean, it's not surprising yeah. to me that, that people take to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's like crazy because I feel like, you know, when you come out with a record, I, I don't think anyone puts out a, I can't imagine putting out a record that I don't love in the same sense that I like don't have some reservation or doubt on, you know, in the same way that I felt about Soft Sounds and Psychopomp. But, you know, I could come out with a third record that's very listenable and uh, did the same exact thing that I did for the last two. and. You might not like it anymore, and I don't know. I don't know why do, that is. Do you have like a a, a a feeling about a direction you want to go? Do you like? I, I always have fantasies about like. Oh, yeah. Man, sound like oh yeah, I definitely had that fantasy, and it was squashed like really quickly. Like when I chased <laughs> after it, I was like, I want to do like. It's like the third album, like Bjork's third album is homogenic. I'm gonna do like Nine Inch Nails meets homogenic, be like this super huge like industrial album. And then like I tried to write stuff like that, and I was just like, this is fucking terrible. Yeah. Like I yeah. can't write. Music. I think at the end of the day, you can only like write within. I think you can put. I mean, it's hard to find like what you. I think that in some sense, you can only write like within your capacity. But obviously, there's a way to push yourself too, and. Um, yeah, like finding that line between like I can push myself in this direction that I want to take, but also I have to recognize when it feels so unnatural to me that it's bad, you know, yeah. or it, it sounds inauthentic. Yeah. And I think that that was like immediately something I realized was like, because I was like, oh, I'll try working with a different producer and like, you know, try writing like on a Moog or something. And then you actually got you got a hold of somebody that yeah, does yeah, industrial yeah. type music. Kind or, of, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, or it was like some, like, was like a producer that was like, I really like the stuff, uh, was really excited about me, like, mentioning that as a direction, went in and I was just like, this is not good. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, hopefully they don't listen to this, but, uh, yeah, like, I'm not sure, I feel like every time I, like, make this grand sweeping thing about how a next record's gonna be, I, like, feel so stifled and then I have to throw it away. Um, and that was kind of how Soft Sounds happened too. It was like, I'm gonna make this sci-fi like concept album that's like a musical. And then it was like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, yeah. it's gonna sound terrible. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to like be really open. And I think that I just want to experiment a lot and push myself more uh, as a producer, like try to produce things like by myself uh, as much as possible to just like get better at it. And But d- d- does that mean you have to go in the studio every single time? Like if you're not fucking around at home or on a laptop or whatever, like, do, like every time you want to mess around with production, you have to be, you go and pay for a studio? No, I have my own studio with Craig. Um, oh, okay. And yeah, I'm, right now I'm like producing uh, the soundtrack for this indie game that's like largely just on my laptop with MIDI and Ableton and okay. wanting to like use that as an as a way to like be like you can do this like by yourself. Yeah, but, so. yeah, and you don't you know I mean you could either use that as demos or you could you know like if you write like that or just actually the real yeah thing for too, sure you know? yeah yeah um, yeah I was just curious about like yeah because I've always you know have. Even if I work in studios, I mess around and yeah. demo. And I've never, like, paid, like, you know, $500 a day to, like, be in a studio and, like, figure it out. I've always, like, at least for Japanese Breakfast and for Little Big League, it was always, like, friends' studios okay. and, like, attics and basements and, you know, like, houses and stuff like that. Gotcha. So it was never, like... I've definitely. I can't imagine. I I think that I would. That would like really like stifle me because I I think that that atmosphere is like really that environment is just so like 
sterile and scary yeah. and I don't think that like I have the confidence to like be like okay like now we're gonna do this like or like let's try this because I, I think I just couldn't get out of my head of just like if you try this thing it's gonna cost you a hundred dollars and like if you put a wind sample in there and it doesn't sound good you just wasted a fucking hundred dollars yeah. so like I think that it's easier it's like it's more it's just better for my style uh, to like have people that I feel comfortable with. because you want to be able to experiment as you go and take your time yeah for sure yeah. and I think that you make like way wackier decisions yeah. when you're alone and like you have potential to get like way better takes because like no one's around and like no one's stressing you out and like you can do it like a million fucking times yeah. and like no one's there to say anything and then maybe there's like a really magical I mean I, in the studio I'm always like okay that's fine like let's move on and yeah I just I get it's too much it doesn't feel natural to me. In a pay situation, I feel like it's best to like to know exactly what exactly you're doing, what yeah. you want, and have a list and be like, all right, we're doing right this, to like this, use this, like annoyment or something. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. yeah, you for pay sure. To yeah. Use tape. And, right, right. You know, right. too much tape and annoying. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I I also prefer the like unassuming nature of. Yeah, bedroom it, studio. Definitely. And it's, I mean, our studio is hardly a bedroom studio, but like, it, it feels like so comfortable. It's like where we rehearse, and yeah. you know, it's a, it's a really nice open setup. It's definitely a lot nicer than most like you know, non like super like professional studios or whatever. Why why Philly? Why did you go back there? You went to college there, I think. Yes, yeah. and that's where you <clears> met. What, how, you met Gabby through her friend that is, lives there or something? Um, I met Gabby, I played Death by Audio um, when I was 18, I think, and... Um, was that a festival or something? No, it was just like, uh, have you been there, Death by Audio? No, I don't it's know It's just like a, it, it was like a, like a New York kind of warehouse, okay. like house space. Gotcha. And she was hanging out with her friend, and they were at the show, and I met her briefly, and then I met her again like a couple weeks later at Bard College, like our okay. bands played together. And I was like, at the time she had like super weird hair. Okay. She had like a rat tail what? and like shaved. It was really weird. It was really funny because like we played with like, I think it was Bellows, and like it basically looked like three out of four of the members had just like gotten to a f like a fight with buzz cutters like and had just like comically yeah. like because they all had these like really everyone except for oliver had these like insane rat tails random parts shaved with yeah. like dyed bangs it was really funny and i just thought she was really cool um, <clears throat> Oliver was trying to fuck with that model look. Yeah, yeah. He, whereas like Oliver looks like very like yeah. normal. And, like yeah. pretty much looks exactly the same. Um, okay, gotcha. Yeah, but then I don't know how we got back in touch. Um, but I, you know, she's such a special person. I feel like there's no person yeah. that cannot like right. adore Gabby. Yeah. And uh, we did like a little tour together um, over the holidays, like a couple years ago, cool. the co-headlining tour. And like I'm just really fond of her. So anyone that she tells me to talk to. I'm, Okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But why, why, why go back to Philly? What, why, what's, what's there? Did you have um, a significant other or something like that? Or I was living in New York, uh, working my job, and I, I was like a sales assistant at an advertising company that. Sold, that was the nine to five that you. Got yeah, to? that was like I sold walls basically. Like it was a hand painted mural advertising company. So like even though that sounds like cool and funky and creative, like it was hell on earth and like. Yeah. 
basically you'd sell like Nike like once like you know it was really weird they'd get you'd get these um like I have a friend that paints those oh really yeah I mean <laughs> yeah. it's a cool company and like the painters are cool but the business side of thing is pretty yeah. annoying and uh but like they we'd get these packets that are like Aurora is like a 20 to 30 year old like weekend warrior like she plays hard and works hard and she needs a shoe that like can fit her like funky attitude or whatever and so then we'd be like okay you've got to be in Williamsburg and we have this wall and this wall and this wall that's available for your date from June to August and like it's right outside of a you know, it's like right across from Soul Cycle. So like all the Soul Cycle yeah. girls in their twenties are gonna see that wall when they're leaving Soul Cycle and be like, I gotta have that shoe. And basically as the assistant's job, you're like creating a case for like why that wall is like Aurora's wall. Right, you know? Right. So you'd make these maps that were like, these are all the fitness centers that are around there and like Urban Outfitters is right here. So like your shoe is gonna like all of your demographic like is gonna see this freaking yeah. wall. Um, and it was like, at the time I was like, I'm, I always just thought like, I'm not the kind of artist that like, is really like hippy dippy can only do, I can only play the harp, you know, yeah. I, I tend to like the business side of music and I like to like be in control of like every, you know, my, our team and like be involved in every little thing. And I like to know like the capacity of every venue and, and all these kinds of things. Um, so I always thought that if I wasn't doing music, I would be really good at another job. Um, and that I would just like, I had moved to New York after living in Oregon for a while, um, to just kind of like make as much money as possible. I'm going to like become a shark, you know? And then I realized it was just like, I'm not actually good at it because it's so unfulfilling for me. And I would get out of work like six or seven and I would just leave feeling like I just didn't do anything at all. I just felt like I didn't accomplish anything at all and like left so unfulfilled. So then I would go mix my record because it felt like my day wasn't done until I like did something substantial mm -hmm. and that was the thing. Um, but still I felt like I was working really hard at my job. Um, and then when our like evaluations came at the end of the year, uh, I was like, I was like, I'm gonna get a raise. I've been here for a year. Uh, and they were like, you're actually not doing a very good job. And it was like crushing because I had like no idea. They said that? Well, they, no, they were just kind of like, they, I was like, so they like had like, they were like, these are the things that you need to work on. And then I was kind of like, I literally thought I was coming in here for, to get a raise because yeah. I work my ass off and it's insane. Yeah. And the owners were kind of like really cool guys that like didn't want to be bad guys. And he was just like, that's so crazy. Like if you feel that way, like uh, you can take and I think it was an accident, he's like, you can have two months severance if you want to leave. Which is unreal because I worked there for like little less than a year and no one gets like two months yeah. severance. That's, That's so much deal. money. That's like $6,000 <laughs> yeah. or right. something like that. Um, so I was like, let me think about it. I went on my paid. Was he trying to get rid of you, you think? No, I think that he genuinely liked me. I think he yeah. thought I was like a funny girl and like he thought that it sucked that you know, the VP was like on maternity leave, so she didn't actually get to train me on anything. And then she wasn't happy with the way I was doing things. And he didn't, I think he felt like it wasn't really my fault and like that no one had to, like told me what they actually right. needed. So like he felt honestly bad for me. And I think that he thought I was cool and like- You raised yourself in the advertising game. Yeah, like <laughs> I think that he thought I was cool and he like didn't want to be a bad guy. Yeah. Like, so he was like, you can have this thing. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go on my paid vacation for two weeks. And I came back and I was like, I'm, and that was like around the time that I think that. I'll take that six grand. Yeah, and I was just like, you know what? I have like two months to figure it out. I got invited to play South by and I was like, okay, if I can't figure out my life in two months, like 
something's really wrong with me. So I was like, I'm gonna take it. Um, and that was around the time that the tracks were starting to come out and, and, and things were starting to feel like something might happen. And so then I went to South by, I had to get a band together. Uh, uh, Dead Oceans had started to talk to me because they had like heard like the first single or something. Um, everything just kind of like started happening for me around that time. I like won this like essay writing contest, like I won like a money prize. So I was like, okay, like I'm gonna be pretty good. Yeah. And so then this label I had told that we're putting out Psychopomp, I was like, I don't want to tour anymore. I was like, actually, like I'm, I'm gonna go on this Mitski tour because Mitski had invited me to do five weeks in June. So around that time- wait, wait, you don't want to, you don't want to headline anymore, you're saying? No, I said, when, when I had signed for Psychopomp to come out on that label, yeah. I had told them, like, I have this full-time job now. I don't want to tour anymore. Yeah. I'm going to work this job. But then that all changed when I got offered, like, a oh, real oh, tour with Mitski, and then I yeah. was going to get, you know, basically let go from this company. I was like, okay, like, I guess it's not quite time for me to let this go yet because I think that things are actually starting to go really well here. Um, and then around that time, I was like, well, I don't think that it's sustainable for me to live in such an expensive city like New York. Yeah. So I moved back to Philadelphia thinking, like, okay. it'll be easier for me to... Because I didn't know how much money I would make, if I could afford to live... You know, it's, it's, New York is, like, so expensive, but it's also, like, relative to what you're getting paid in New York. Yeah. So if you're not working in New York, then it's like you're just hemorrhaging money for no reason, you know? So I wouldn't do it. Yeah, uh, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave. I mean, I really miss it. I really wanna move back now. But uh, at the time, it was like, I'm about to make like $200 a show. Yeah. I don't think like, yeah. I can live in New York. Would you, do you think you'll move back there? I don't know. Um, I've talked about it. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I'm. You got a lot of people in Philly now, yeah. Yeah, but I have a ton of people in New York too, and it's yeah. so close. It's yeah. like a two-hour bus ride, so it's really not. I really just miss living there. But um, and for like the stuff that I want to keep doing, I think it would be really good for me to live in New York again. But it's so easy. Things are so easy in Philadelphia. What about the West Coast? Why? Why? You know. Where are you? Are you from Cincinnati? I'm from Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, I lived in the West Coast for yeah. ten, 10 years. Well, I, I fell in love with it personally. Uh, uh, Bay Area, Oakland, okay, Berkeley. Yeah. 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 Talk about expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had to get out of there. Yeah, for sure. Pretty much for that reason. I think that, like, for me growing up on the West Coast, uh, it's, like, not for me anymore, you yeah. know? I think that also my kind of, I have, like, an East Coast kind of personality. So I'm, like, very aggressive, mm -hmm. like intense person. And like my entire life growing up in Oregon, people were always telling me to like chill the fuck out right. like, my entire life. Yeah. Uh, and then when I moved to the East Coast, it's like, oh here I'm just normal, you know, it's yeah. fine. It's really nice, no one's telling me to calm down anymore. Uh, so yeah, I think that like, I just am a, a faster paced person and the West Coast kind of irritates me. Uh, I mean, I love it there and, I, yeah. I, and nothing makes me feel more like better than being on the Pacific Northwest for at least like a while, but. Um, and I think it's so beautiful there and I, I do miss a lot of it, but I don't think I could live there. And I think that there's this sense of like, if I wind up in the place that I grew up in, I feel a little bit like a failure. Right. That's what I've done and I feel like a failure. Yeah. So I true. think that my mom also like really instilled that. My mom was like really fucking intense. Don't come back here kind, kind of, of like, no, yeah, it was kind of just like, you have to go to the East coast to be successful. Huh. And so like, I think that. That sort of. Did she push you towards music? I mean, what? No, no. What did she? Is that why you did the advertising thing? Because she passed away, and you're like, okay, I got to do something. Maybe like subcon. I think that yeah, maybe. I yeah. think that it was kind of like. Also, my mom always like made the year like being 25 like this is a really peak like pinnacle year in your life, and like 
it was kind of like the year that I was supposedly allowed to do everything. Like you can live with your like significant other like at twenty five. It was you're basically a, you're a real adult. yeah. It was kind of like twenty five. You're a real adult and like. Is um, that a thing, or is that just your mom? Is that a Korean thing or something, or is that just? No, I don't know. I think it's just. I think it was just my mom yeah. putting off what she didn't want to see. Right. <laughs> you know, it's right. just like that seems far enough away. Yeah. Of like my, I'm sure even if I I was twenty five and doing the things that she told me I could do when I was twenty five. Uh, she would still be pissed off about them, but it was also like you know with tattoos and stuff like get it when you still want it when you're 25 it's fine. But I'm sure if she was still around she'd like be 30. really she'd be really pissed about it. 35. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, I'm sure I, that was part of the reason was just like I wasted so much time. And I but I think that the biggest thing was just like I've done this for a long time. It's like not happening. What, what when do you like, like give up on this like dream? Or yeah, like I mean I don't want to be a 30 year old like playing a basement show, getting paid yeah. in, like, cans of soup and loose cigarettes. Yeah. Like, that sucks. Like, yeah. I wanted, and I'm running out of time. It, it felt like I was just, like, running out of time to, like, do something substantial. <laughs> what, what, so what is music for you? Like, what are, like, when you started, why? And, you know, because you're, you're if your mom didn't push, did your dad push you towards it? Like, what, what, like, you were a punker as a teen. I'm just throwing out guesses here. Um, I think that I've just I was always a creative individual, and I just really like I don't know. Um, yeah, I think. But I've you're just, like a shredder. Like you can shred. I I mean I can play the guitar. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I, I mean, can play more than like you know open chords, but. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't even really like consider myself to be a real great musician. I okay. feel like I, and I don't know anything about music theory. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know, but I think that I just, I got really comfortable in that medium because it's just the one that I've practiced for, for so long that um, it just really, it comes very, it just makes sense to me. It's just very yeah. easy. You know, I know, like I know how to, I put together four or five records at this point and I know what it's going to feel like and I know how to guide it and I know what to do if I'm stuck and I know um, what I know when to trust my instincts when something's not working I know when to push forward I just I, it's such a natural part of me now um, why I started uh, I don't know I think that you know when I was 16 I thought it was the coolest thing in the world yeah. that you could do uh, and it was something that my mom really didn't want me to do my dad was really just not involved in my life very much at all and uh, it was always this thing that was just like, do it as a hobby, do it as a hobby. And I always did it as a hobby. Um, but it was always, you know, I just, I never let it go. Like, no matter how much I tried to push it away and, or like c come up with safe, you know, I went to call, I didn't even want to go to college. I went to college, had a band there. And it was always like the most important side, you know, I would do all my work, but then it was just to get to that why? Thing. What does it What does it feel like? What does it do for you? Like I think I just life? like to create projects. I like to start and finish things and make them, and it makes me, it gives me like a sense of purpose, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is, is like the only. I think that also like around like high school, it was like the idea of like, you know, just being like a dark and depressed person, like, and the idea of like my life not meaning anything was only really solved by making something. Yeah. Uh, and that first thing that I made, I think, was were were songs, and and it just seemed like a cool thing. Yeah. And you just wanted to keep going from there. Yeah, I think that I just I just never I just yeah never let it go. Do you have a feeling like you have to like did that linger with you like sort of your mom's feelings of like that you have to be a success or whatever like do you, do you feel that way? 
beyond like where you're at now like do you know do you feel like you have to be what's a success and, and what do you feel like you have to be I don't or know like I think far? that like there is like a very basic sense of success of just like you know you're just always kind of climbing the rungs of like you know, you go from playing a 200 cap venue to a 400 cap venue, you go from like touring in a minivan to like a 15 passenger van to like a sprinter, you know, like you see these things happening, but uh, for me, I mean, the most exciting thing is to watch my like skill set grow and my confidence in myself as an artist grow and that's really fun. So what happens if you feel like every album you feel like you learn more about yourself and you kind of, you know, you're, you're figuring out who you are and what and you know what you want to say but you level out and you play rooms this size for the Forever. next yeah. 20 years yeah but you can make a living you can survive right for sure and, and i think that that's like you know i'm waiting for that moment and i'm really interested to see what happens when that that moment comes because it, it ultimately will and I'm, I'm always concerned of like how does an artist take it when they plateau in the market? You know, not like themselves, because I feel like you never plateau as an artist, hopefully. Like, you always feel like you're doing something new and pushing yourself in, in a different way and always working hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't encountered that yet. You think I've you'll only, be all right if that does happen? Well, I think my idols are people that 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 are like that. They're, 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 they just make, they so clearly make their work for themselves and not for anyone else. So like, my, like Mount Erie is like my hero. Yeah. And I think that like, that is like the greatest career to like model yourself off of is just like, that person does not give a shit what so anyone like, thinks uh, uh, about his yeah. music and like, you can just hear it. So like, there will come a point in time, I'm sure where, you know, we, this is the size of, or whatever, maybe we even go down. Uh, and like figure, and I don't know Phil's what. Phil's gone up and down. Exactly, yeah, years, like, and I'm, and I hope that that happens. For, I mean, I always kind of was just like, well, I'll just be like Phil. I'll just like run a web shop. Someday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'll just like know. I'll just do my own mail orders, and then like you know I'll have my my like you know five thousand or like a thousand cult fans that exist that like buy every record that I make. I'll package them myself. I'll write them little notes. Like I loved doing that. You think you'd that. be okay with that? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that... He makes a decent living. I, I think, think that the transition, art. like, the immediate transition of, like, recognizing that will probably be a, a difficult thing. Yeah. I don't know if, like, you felt like that in, in, in your work, but, like, I haven't experienced that yet. I've always, like, I've come from, like, playing shit shows to no one to, like... It, my growth was has always just been a slow thing. It was never, yeah. like, a huge shoot-up. It was always just, like, a slow, gradual, like, I built this over time. Um, and I and I don't know what I mean. I mean, I'm sure it will be a tough pill to swallow if like the third record comes out and and it's a plateau. But you know, I I I'm not gonna just like stop making stuff. Yeah. You know. And I think that maybe I'll like, you know, maybe I'll like make. I think that I also like have put that padding on too of just like I'm gonna work on a game score. I'm gonna like direct music videos. Like yeah. I'm gonna take advantage of all of the things that come along with being a musician and like turn them into. You know, side careers right so yeah. I could direct music video you know I think that I think that I've just watched so many of my friends like lose their jobs like kind of in this because it's so fickle like um, that I kind of have like built that up for myself too yeah. or like at the very least I could like run a venue or be a booking agent yeah. you know what Fuck I mean man. like I mean I hope that's never what I'll, I'll have to do but um, it comes to yeah it. like 
there's so many aspects of like working this job that yeah. there's always going to be stuff for, for me to do. Okay. What, what about the video game stuff? Like, how did you get involved with that? Like, that seems so cool to me. I heard you actually designed a video game, like, not only the music, but the yeah, I made like an RPG with this woman, Elaine Fath, who did most of like the development and the design, and then I just mostly wrote and like made the characters and Easter eggs okay. and the general concept for it. Um, but then, yeah, I just got invited to um, work on the trailer song and the soundtrack for this indie game called Sable that just premiered it. Uh, the trailer just premiered at E3, and it's it's doing really well. So I'm excited. And that's. I'm doing a lot of a lot of that like in the in the car. So. I have a friend who does who does that and indie games. He did a game called Gungeon, if you heard of that one. No, that's and it. A game called Gang Beasts. Well, two of his games. Yeah. And uh, just does the music. You never even heard of those games, and you're a gamer. Yeah. And this motherfucker makes a loop. Yeah. So you're, you'll do well. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's very sick. Um. Well, we should probably let you go. What, cool. what Anything else, Grace? You, Grace is the I mean, one who got me into your music. Oh, so cool, she, that's she, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know. This is your interview. So. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. I was I'm just, just saying, did, to, I, did I leave? I was just here to dig you out if you... Uh, Where the, did I leave gaping holes? No, I think it was... I think you did fine. I don't know. <laughs> you did a great job. Did I do okay? Yeah, you did a great job. <laughs> um, cool, well, I, I, I've been sitting here with Michelle and Grace um, in the, uh, I don't know, uh, old in abandoned the guts kitchen of area. Taft Theater, yeah. Yeah, the Taft Theater. Cincinnati, Ohio, say bye to the people. Oh, bye, people. <laughs> <laughs>good convo right so i first and foremost this is it you guys i want to thank my exec producers i want to thank my executive producers uh who gave five dollars or more on the patreon page patreon.com slash the wandering wolf adam chase alexis johnson caitlin augustine dylan Rowe, cemetery chips isaac lang jim leskowski joel no last name on that one. Let's say Joel Doe, uh, Matt Hill, Merrick Jarmulowicz, Simon Bird, Tim Vecchio, Vecchio, Vecchio. Let me know if I fucked your name up because I don't know how to say everyone's name. Please, just send me a message. Say you said it wrong. Say it like this and give me the little phonetics. Um, thank you guys so much. As well, to, as, well as a few other uh, people who preferred to remain anonymous. I don't know if you remember that that uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Please, if if, uh, if you haven't yet, go over there, patreon.com slash thewanderingwolf, and uh, do your thing. Um, become a member and become part of the conversation. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. All the music that you've heard, other than my normal little ditties that, that uh, happened for the intro and outro or whatever, are Japanese Breakfast. If you don't know Japanese Breakfast's music yet, I don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, we're going to go out on a Japanese breakfast song, okay? So let's do that. And, of course, I want you guys to have a great week or two weeks. I don't know how long it's going to be till I got my next one going, but I do have one in the, in the hopper, no pun intended. And uh, keep wandering.
like an outro. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> or something like that.